0: According to His promise we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. Join me once again in Proverbs 20. This will conclude our uh, uh, material in chapter 20. We'll move on to chapter 21 next week. We're looking at verses 29 and 30. The glory of young men is their strength and the honor of old men is their gray hair. Stripes that wound scour away evil and strokes reach the innermost parts. So uh, just two, uh, two more verses, we'll wrap this up. Shouldn't take a whole lot of time. Might even finish early today, how about that? Before we do get started though let's take a moment for silent prayer calling upon our Father and His faithfulness to bless our time of study. Shall we pray? Holy Father, we thank You for this morning and the truth of Your Word and the blessing we have to assemble together. We call upon Your faithfulness, Father, to bless our time, to hedge us about and protect us, to hinder anyone that would want to come in here and and stop what we're doing or bring us to harm. Father, uh, we just thank You that in Your faithfulness we uh, were pleased to obey Your commands, presenting ourselves before You as workmen needing not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So, rightly divide the word for us here this morning. Father, we thank you, we praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, and so uh, advancing our slideshow here, and then I also want to show you some of the word study tools that I use with Logos Bible Software. We've done a lot in this chapter. You can see with all the slides that are sitting there. So, getting right down to the end, here we have it. Beauty turns to splendor, when strength becomes gray hair. <laughs> and so uh, you, you got somebody's getting old in this verse, because uh, they're a young man in the A part, and then they're uh, they got their old men in the B part. And uh, the young men have strength, and the uh, the old men have gray hair. So when you're just making these observations between you know 29A and 29B, you can see the contrast. You can see the progression. But you're not seeing a contradiction in a sense, because I don't think the text is is placing them as opposites or something wrong or something. I think it's describing the way life normally works and actually describing two kinds of beauty, two kinds of glory, two kinds of honor. And uh, to me, the most striking thing about this verse, and of course, I'm a language guy. I like to see what the what the the words are and what do they mean. Um, but to me, I see the glory of young men as their strength and my mind immediately just assumes, well that's got to be kavod because kavod is the is the, the basic word for glory. And it's not kavod. In fact it's a very unusual expression for glory. Same thing with with uh, the honor. That's not kavod either. It's another unusual word for glory or honor. And So what are these synonyms, what are these terms that are not quite kavod but what are they trying to convey? And so this is what we want to see and so really it's two different kinds of beauty. They both can be translated beauty, uh, it's just that the, the beauty of strength is one kind of beauty and the beauty of gray hair is a different kind of beauty and, and the Word of God describes them and, and we should appreciate both. We should appreciate every stage as the Father brings us through in, in our human lives. So uh, that's why when I wrote point 28 here I, I, I like the way it came out, beauty turns to splendor. It's just a different kind of beauty, when uh, when strength becomes gray hair. And sure, yeah, he's not as strong as he used to be, but man, think of the wisdom he has now. Think about the grace and the blessings he can supply that uh, that he couldn't have done when he was younger. And uh, it's all right, you know. We we got other there's other young men around here. We can we can appreciate their strength and and their contribution to the flock. And in in uh, it's it's. Uh, it's it's time for for the younger men to step up and the older men to to also step up in the different capacities. Is what I'm trying to say. So anyway, I'm rambling a little bit, but this is um, this is dear to me, and I and I like this, and I, I like this as a part of who we are as a church. And I love the way we're structured at Austin Bible Church. I love the fact that when you get into and we're not like when you get into some of the the big fancy places with thousands of people that they tend to segment, segment their flock. And they divide them up and they put the, all the young people in one spot and they put all the older people in a different spot and they act like they're doing them a favor because then you know the old people can sing their hymns and, and uh, the young people can do the off-the-wall music and, 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 uh, and then they have their singles ministry and their re-singles and they've got just different groups. And they're trying to compartmentalize people and I, I hate that. To me, what that does is it destroys the glory of the body. That destroys the benefit that we have for the young men in their strength and the old men in their gray hair to minister to each other, and uh, to edify each other and benefit each other and bless each other and serve each other, and uh, and everything else that goes with it. So, um, anyway, I just I thank the Lord. You know, I probably need to thank Him more often that uh, we're not one of those big fancy schmancy places with, uh, with the thousands of people and the, I wouldn't last probably two weeks there, let alone 25 years when it comes to uh, to what it is that the Lord has uh, designed for us here. Alright, so let's take a look at it like uh, we started to do last week and we'll take some more time to do it here this week. And I'm going to uh redock this if I remember my keystrokes. That's not it. Dock this panel. Control-shift-F11. I knew I was forgetting something. All right, well we'll dock this panel. So in looking at uh, the A part and the B part here to verse 29, the glory of young men is their strength and the honor of old men is their gray hair. And so I want to look at the term here for glory, tefereth. We'll do the the word study on that. And then we uh, do the word honor here. And we'll do the word study on that. All right. And we'll go ahead and close that. We'll put these up here side by side. So here's Tifereth and here's Hadar. And here's our color wheels. So you can see them side by side. Now when we did this last week, no, you don't need to see that. There we go. I put these up here last week and we're going to be looking at them again here this morning. Tifereth and Hadar. The two adjectives that reply to, or the, the nouns rather, that, reply, that apply to the glory and the splendor. The beauty and the majesty. The, uh, the glory and the honor is how the New American Standard rendered them. Uh, the Tifereth and the Hadar. And sometimes if if I'm struggling to try to take an expression and and put it into English, sometimes I just don't even try, I just stop and I just start reading the verses with the Hebrew noun the way it is. And so I'll I'll look through a list of of 48 verses and instead of trying to translate it every time I'll just read the verse and leave it as Tifereth. And then I'll read 48 verses that have Tifereth in it. And after reading all these verses with Tifereth over and over and over again, I start to process the, the the idea in my mind anyway. What what Tifereth actually speaks to, and then uh, and then maybe I'll have a better picture to go ahead and try to put it into an English word or two English words or or things of that nature. Likewise with Hadar, what might I do with Hadar? Well, let's read the thirty-one verses that have Hadar in it, and instead of reading the translations, read the English text, but go ahead and read Hadar in the place where it belongs, and uh, and take it from there. So. Uh, because these are, these are parallel expressions. Hebrew poetry of course is paralleling the A part and the B part of the verse. So there's something parallel between the something of young men and the something of old men, right? You've got the something of young men is their strength and the something else of old men is their gray hair. And so if I'm going to lock in on the poetry there and try to figure out what the something is and the something else is, the something and the something else, that's parallel. That's poetic parallelism. is the way the Hebrew works. That's the way the Hebrew language works, the Hebrew poetry works. And so just like we have the parallelism between the young men and the old men, between the strength and the gray hair, the, uh, to me the biggest puzzle of this verse is the tefereth and the hadar. The, uh, the glory and the glory. The beauty and the beauty. The, the honor and the honor. The, however we're going to handle the tefereth and the hadar. That's what's, uh, that's what's being emphasized. And to me, uh, you already know my conclusion, because to me it's not two different things but it's a different kind of thing, it's a different kind of beauty. It's a, it's a difference of degree, not a difference of, of uh, any other kind of difference there. So beauty does turn into splendor. It is a progression from the Tifereth to the Hadar, at least in this context, maybe not in every context. But in this context we see it there. And one thing to spot is, um, where is the one thing to spot? Is uh, Psalm 96.6. That's the one thing to spot. For those of you with sharp eyes that are very clever, you've already spotted on the slide here that Psalm 96.6 is, is found in both, both places. That uh, both Tefereth and Hadar are present there in the same verse the same way that are present here in the same verse in Proverbs 20 and 29. So these are the things that we can do with it. And uh, again when you look up your color wheels and you look up your word studies and the, the Logos software that helps you to do this, you can notice with uh, with Tephereth there on the left that uh, it's, it's rendered glory, and I already showed you last week how unusual that was. The, um, let me just bring that up for you too. As long as I'm doing this today. And we've got time, like I said, I don't expect these two verses to take us the, uh, the whole hour. So when you're looking at glory honestly the first thing you think of in glory is kavod. I mean look at it, kavod, that's, that's a no-brainer. Anytime you have kavod that's the, that's the Hebrew word for glory, why are we even talking about this? Well, yeah that's the Hebrew word for glory most of the time 147 out of 194 times, that is the word for glory. And so we can we can excuse your assumption if if you assumed that that's the word that you have here in Proverbs chapter 20. But it's uh, not the only word that's translated glory in the New American Standard Bible. And so uh, we have this other one up here, the second most common and it's a very distant second, is, uh, is Tifereth. Is Tifereth, uh, the first of our two words that we have in our verse today. And Tifereth is used 17 times, uh, There are 17 places in the Hebrew Old Testament where Tifereth is the Hebrew word and the New American Standard Bible used the English word glory to translate Tifereth. And, uh, and one of them is what we're looking at here this morning with the glory of young men is their strength. The Tifereth of young men is their strength. So because it's so unusual, because it's not kavod, and, um, and you realize this is why you have to do word studies redundantly and repetitively and, and that you just can't say, oh well look at that, tefereth 17 times that, that tefereth is, uh, is uh, glory. Well yeah, but those aren't the only 17 tefereths in the Old Testament. There are other tefereths in the Old Testament that are translated other things besides glory as, uh, as we see in this wheel here because Tifereth actually shows up 48 times. 48 times that Tifereth is in the Hebrew Old Testament and there's only 17 of those where it's translated glory, otherwise it's translated beauty, it's translated glorious, it's translated honor, majesty, boast, pomp, um, adornment, jewels, pride. So you see uh, quite the spectrum there. Here's the beauty reference. References and there's 15 of those, like the garments that the high priest would wear, and we're told in Exodus 28, "You shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother for glory and for beauty." You shall make holy garments for your brother for glory and for beauty. And this is a nice verse because this shows us the kavod for glory like we expect. The normal word for glory is there, but it's not only is it the garments are for kavod, the, glory, the garments are also for Tifereth. They're for glory and for this other thing we're trying to nail down today. Okay, This other thing we're trying to describe. And I, and I think beauty is probably my, my, uh, my favorite rendering on this. But For glory and for beauty, for kavod and for Tifereth. And so we see it there. Anyway, these color wheels are very useful and you can expand them one by one. If you only want to see the places it's rendered majesty, you can do that. And you can find it there in Esther four. This is when Xerxes wants his wife to dance for him and he wants having a party with his, uh, with his fellow lords. So he displayed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor of his great majesty for many days. 180 days. And so here we got a lot of terms because we got kavod, we got glory, but we also have beauty, we also have majesty, we also have splendor. So there's a lot of things that uh, Artaxerxes is uh, that Ahasuerus there is displaying in uh, Esther one So the royal glory that's the kavod, the splendor is something we haven't even seen yet, the yakar, and then the majesty is the Tefera. All right, So you see how fun this is? I say fun, you say boring. It's all a matter of perspective. But see, these are the things. And so you start with a word like here, glory, and you ask yourself well, what's the Hebrew word under that word? And that's when you learn that it's tifereth, And now you've got two puzzles to chase down. Because you've got to chase down, well, what other Hebrew words are also translated glory? And you get a list of those. And then, then you find out okay now tefereth, what other English words is tifereth translated as when it gets put into English? You see what I'm saying? And so essentially every word study is minimum of two, usually three or four different word studies all combined. Again, I didn't uh, what did I do here? if you just want to look up glory. Yeah, there's your kavod, there's your tifereth, here's a whole bunch of other minor ones, including that one that we would have seen. There's Hillel, that's usually translated praise, but there's a handful of places where it's glory. And Yakar, that was the one that uh, we were just looking at in Esther. Actually this is an Aramaic equivalent of that. Tzvi. Huh, like Tzvi, that's interesting. Alright. I'm going to stop there, or I'm going to get lost. I'm going to start doing more of these. We don't want to do these. Alright, what we want to do though is find out Tefereth and Hadar. Tefereth and Hadar. How are we going to render them? How are we going to render them where they are not strictly synonymous, but where they are connected? Where do they intersect? Where is it that they are somewhat close? Okay? And so with, with Tifereth, it's glory, beauty, glorious, honor, majesty, boast, pomp, adornment, jewels, or pride. With, uh, with Hadar, it's majesty, splendor, majestic, honor, array, dignity, jewels, beauty. So there's a little bit of overlap there. We see some overlap. They're, they're, uh, both of them are attractive things. Both of them are things that you wouldn't complain about if, if your wife had them. Right? You wouldn't. Uh, you you would say, okay, here's a quality like beauty or adornment or or splendor. Okay, this is this is admirable. This is desirable. It's positive. And where do they overlap? Is it in the majesty? Well, yeah. There's several times that Tifereth is rendered majesty, and then Hadar is very commonly rendered majesty or majestic. So, do we think that the majesty of young men is their strength and the the majesty of old men is their gray hair. Again, we don't want them to be, we don't want it to be the same word because they're different, but we want them to be close. So majesty and splendor would do that. Or splendor and beauty would do that. So if I change the glory to beauty and then leave splendor the way or change honor to splendor, then I think that's the conclusion I want to come to here. The beauty of young men is their strength, or the majesty of young men is their strength. And the splendor of old men is their gray hair. The adornment. The array. Here's a verse Doug's been puzzling over for a long time. "...in holy array from the womb of the dawn. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power in holy array from the womb of the dawn. Your youth are to you as the dew." And that's been a puzzle for years we've been talking about this. What's that about? Well, sure seems majestic. Sure seems to be a splendor or a beauty or a glory. It seems to be a hadar. And and maybe that's what we ought to do, just stop and read every single one of these and, and get the sense of hadar every time we come to it. And then maybe we'll have a, a more of an intuitive or more of a of a fluent understanding. That's what fluency is when you just reading the language, not trying to translate it in the first place, just processing mentally, processing in that language, thinking in that language. All right, so we have the issues there. Let's go ahead and look these verses up because I don't think we did that last week. Let's look up the Tifereth, let's look up the Hadar, and then we'll move on to the discipline that we have. Stripes that wound, scour away evil. And the benefit we have is we can thank God when we have the stripes because there's a benefit to the stripes that there is a cleansing, that it scours away. And, uh, and we need that. Sometimes that's the only thing that will scour it away. So I'm going to go ahead and close all of these now. So I think we're done. And then I'm going to fly this thing back out again. Float this panel. And now that the panel is floating... You can sit on top of there just fine. See, we're getting the hang of this. Who says we're not one of those big fancy schmancy operations around here? All right. We even have a YouTube. How about that? Let's start with Exodus 28. We were just there a moment ago, actually, in talking about these garments. So bring near to yourself Aaron your brother, his sons with him from among the sons of Israel to minister as priests to me, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, Ithamar, Aaron's sons. This is back when he had four sons, he's going to lose two of them. All right, and then moving forward to the next generation, it's only Eliezer and Ithamar that, uh, that, uh, that continue. So bring them near. You shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful persons, these are the, the ones endowed with wisdom, whom I have endowed with the spirit of wisdom. That they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister as priest to me. And these are the garments which they shall make: a breastpiece and an ephod and a robe and a tunic of checkered work, a turban and a sash. And they shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother and for his sons, that he may minister as priest to me. Now it's curious to me. There's no there's no equivalent of this in the New Testament, and there's no concept. That a New Testament believer priest, after the order of Melchizedek, is expected to dress in in uh, in a tangible way, in a physical, visible way. We don't have, you know, the the Catholic priesthood invented robes and vestments and whatnot, but but they were busy trying to replicate law, and and have a have a calendar and have a have all the things that the New Testament never gave us. So they made it up themselves. We don't have that. The fact is our priesthood is a heavenly priesthood. Our our spiritual service is invisible to the visible eyes of this this physical world. And so uh, we don't need these garments. We have spiritual garments that we wear and uh, we can appreciate those kind of things. Having said that, why does this earthly priesthood, why does the Levitical priesthood, why do they have these kind of garments? And what is special about standing in the presence of God's holiness or representing God with God's people. uh, In other words, might we in liberty want to dress up on a Sunday, for example? Is there anything wrong with that? Is that not legalism? Or is it just simply the recognition that, you know what, I am with God's people on the Lord's day, assembling together to receive instruction. I want to honor, I want to show reverence, I want to um, I want to demonstrate to the world and to God and to myself and whatever that today is a different kind of day. And so Romans 14 says that some believers have that conviction and other believers don't. And, uh, and we just we have grace one to another as we live out our convictions. Anyway, that's my two-minute sermon on dressing up in church. All right. But the garments for Aaron here, for glory and for beauty, for kavod and for Tifereth. You shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother for glory and for Tifereth. Likewise, verse 40. For Aaron's sons you shall make tunics, you shall also make sashes for them, you shall make caps for them, again for glory and for Tifereth. For glory and for something else that's admirable, desirable, attractive, um, estimable, for glory and for beauty, Deuteronomy twenty-six nineteen. By the way, the only reason we're, we're reluctant to use beauty as the regular translation is because it's not the normal word for beauty. Okay, there's other normal words for beauty, including. Uh, the, the adjective "good," if somebody of good face or good body or good, there's there's idioms for beauty, that uh, and and then there's just Hebrew adjectives for beauty, and uh, beyond Tifereth. So there is a slight reluctance to uh, to render it as beauty based on that. All right, Deuteronomy twenty six nineteen. Context here is how God appreciates Israel and honors them and blesses them. Verse 18 says, the Lord has today declared you to be His people. He didn't pick the Greeks, He didn't pick the Romans, didn't pick the the Americans, He picked Israel, the Jews. The Lord has today declared you to be His people, a treasured possession as He promised you and that you should keep all His commandments. That He would set you high above all the goyim, all the nations, the Gentiles, which He has made for praise and fame and honor that you shall be a consecrated people to the Lord your God he has spoken. Now which of those terms do you think is Tifereth? Praise, fame, or honor? It's a puzzle, isn't it? Okay. It's the first. No, it's not the first one. Tehillah, shame, Tifereth. Alright. So It's the third one. It's the one for honor. Well, how come it's translated beauty in these other places and it's translated honor here? Because it's uh, it's a little rascal, we're trying to nail it down. And uh, as as a descriptive adjective, there's context that beauty fits better, there's context that honor fits better. But really, anything wrong with putting beauty here? He has set you above all nations which He has made for praise, fame, and beauty that you shall be a consecrated people to the Lord your God, He has spoken. If God thinks that Israel's a beautiful people, well then I think Israel's a beautiful people too. Okay? Praiseworthy, famous. It's for His praise, His fame, and His beauty anyway. Hmm. Alright. Esther one four. We were just here. This is uh, King Xerxes, Ahasuerus in the Hebrew, and uh, he displayed the riches of His kavod, His royal glory, and the splendor of His great majesty, His great beauty, His great attractiveness for many days, 180 days. And then they gave a banquet and uh, this is when He has to fire the queen and uh, the opening to the book of Esther I think we're familiar with. Let's look at Psalm 96, six, because this is the only other place in the Bible by the way that has both of the words that we're wrestling with today, the tifereth and the hadar. Splendor and majesty are before Him, strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. And this is a term that, this is a verse that actually has four words, including the two that we're wrestling with. The majesty there is your Hadar, and then strength and beauty, there's your Tepherah. So splendor and majesty are before Him, strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. We're talking about God. These are character traits that God Himself possesses. This is, these are descriptive terms that relate to uh, the, the presence of God. Splendor and majesty are before Him, strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. If that's characteristic of God Himself in His own existence and His own heavenly majesty, is it any wonder why He wants His priests to be dressed accordingly? He wants His priests to likewise have a splendor and beauty in, as they approach Him, as they minister to Him on behalf of their people. Shouldn't surprise us at all. Proverbs 4, nine. If you study the Word of God and if you treasure wisdom, wisdom will do things for you. Prize her, she will exalt you, she will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a garland of grace. She will present you with a crown of Tifereth, a crown of beauty. So if you dedicate your your life to obtaining wisdom, and the the metaphor places wisdom here as a girl, as a woman, that uh, this is the the right kind of woman you want to embrace, not the harlot, but wisdom of God's Word. She will present you with a crown of beauty, a crown of tefereth. A gray head is a crown of glory, a crown of Tephereth, a crown of beauty. It is found in the way of righteousness. So you can see a believer that spends their life in the Word of God just gets more and more and more beautiful. Even as they, the hair gets grayer and grayer and grayer, okay? The outer man perishes, the inner man is renewed day by day, and the inner beauty just gets more and more beautiful all the time. So here it's called a crown of glory. In chapter 4 it was called a crown of beauty. Maybe we should just call it the crown of Tifereth and be done with it. <laughs> okay, I like beauty in almost every case. 17.6 Grandchildren are the crown of old men and the beauty of sons is their fathers. The Tefereth of sons is their fathers. Why is the Tefereth of sons their fathers? I thought the Tefereth of young men was their strength. Okay? Well, we're getting ahead of ourselves. That's chapter 20. Right here in chapter 17 the tefereth of sons is their fathers. If you think about it, Solomon as a young man, what kind of Tephereth would he have? Well, with David as his father and the love that David had for the Word of God and the the man after God's own heart that was uh, described there as intimate with the Lord. And you think about it, here's a young man and just imagine the man he's going to grow into because of who his father was. If, of course, By the grace of God he continues in the word of God like David continued in the word of God. Sadly, Solomon did not. Solomon perverted his wisdom in his old age and instead of following in the wisdom of his father he followed in the sins of his father and made it even worse. But anyway that's uh, that's the application there. Proverbs 19.11 A man's discretion makes him slow to anger and it is his tefereth to overlook a transgression. See, I totally missed this when I taught this in, in chapter 19. I just assumed that was, that was kavod. I need to read cl- more closely in, uh, in the Hebrew as we're teaching these chapters. It is not His kavod glory, it is His tifereth beauty to overlook a transgression. It's a beautiful thing when a grace-oriented believer applies grace and Jesus Christ is glorified. It's amazing? Chapter 20 is the fifth time we've come to Tifereth in, the, in this study and uh, it's the first time we're really looking at it closely. A man, uh, when the righteous triumph, there is great Tifereth. But when the wicked rise men hide themselves. Interesting passage in an election year. <laughs> You've got to wonder what kind of government are we going to have? What kind of uh, president are we going to have? A righteous or a wicked president? Well, on the one hand there is great Tifereth, on the other hand men hide themselves. So these are our Tifereth verses. Then we have our Hadar verses. Starting here in Proverbs twenty twenty nine. so we've already read that. The Hadar of the old men is their gray hair. How about Proverbs 31? Ladies have been looking forward to this since we started the, Hebrew, the uh, Proverbs series. Strength and dignity are her clothing and she smiles at the future. It's the, the hadar there is the dignity. Strength and dignity. Here's a splendor, here's a beauty that's a uh, beauty of dignity. It's not, you know, when you think about true beauty and attractiveness in, in, in our culture thinks it's, it's that, that immodesty equals beauty. It's, it's, the, it's the opposite. True modesty is true beauty in the biblical sense. Dignity. Anyway, we have the uh, the description there. How about Psalm forty-five? Gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one. So this is uh, this is the Psalm of the King, Psalm forty-five, and the recognition that that uh, it's a it's a love song as the queen is praising her king. My heart overflows with a good theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. You are fairer than the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one. We have language here of El and Elohim and language that uh, actually it's Gabor. See I've got to check these things before I misspeak. Anyway, the the title here for the Messiah. The Messiah, greater son of David, the, the, the coming king, God himself when he reigns. In your splendor and your majesty. In your hod and your hadar. Splendor and majesty. In your majesty ride on victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome things. Your arrows are sharp, the peoples fall under you. Your arrows are in the heart of the king's enemies. He has victory in the battlefield. He conquers at Armageddon. He brings in the kingdom. He comes with power and great glory, with splendor and majesty. Your throne, O oh God, is forever and ever a scepter of uprightness. It is the scepter of your kingdom. Anyway, there's more here. This gets quoted in Hebrews. This gets uh, a lot of our Christological attention. But it's a promise of the coming of Christ. When he comes in the second advent, it's going to be a beautiful thing. When he came in the first advent, he had no stately form or majesty that we should be attracted to him. Not so in second advent. When he comes to conquer, and the first advent was humble riding on a colt. Second advent is conquering riding on a white stallion. And there's so many contrasts between first advent and second advent. Alright, we've already looked at Psalm 96.6, Psalm 110, we saw in passing. This says, "...sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, seeing rule in the midst of your enemies." So Jesus finishes His work in the church age and He goes forth to conquer. He's going to rule in the millennial kingdom, rule in the midst of your enemies, and at that time your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power in holy array from the womb of the dawn. And There's a lot of puzzles there, but the holy array, that's your splendor, that's your hadar. And uh, does it apply to the people or does it apply to Jesus in holy array in the womb of the dawn? Your youth are to you as the dew. You're a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. We looked at a lot of this in the the Hebrew series, obviously. Then finally Isaiah 53-2, which I mentioned a moment ago. Jesus in His first advent. "...who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For He grew up before Him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of parched ground." I mean, he could have come from heaven as an adult male riding on a white horse and conquering. He's going to do that next time. Couldn't he have done that last time? No, last time he came and was born of a virgin. Last time he humbled himself to the point whereby he entered into a, a pregnant womb and, and uh, took on human flesh, hung out for nine months, got birth in a barn, okay? <laughs> and then, as he grew up, He has no stately form or hadar, majesty, that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. We've seen this repeatedly, both with Tifereth and with hadar. However we render this in English, both qualities are desirable. Both qualities are uh, attractive. But his first advent was not attractive. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He was despised and forsaken of men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He had a tough life. His dad probably died shortly after his 12th birthday and and he's helping raise four younger brothers and at least two younger sisters. He's got a lot of responsibilities as a carpenter. And uh, (laughs) you can imagine what was his life like? Probably not a lot of laughing, not a lot of happiness, not a lot of he was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Anyway, this is the description of him in his first advent. Nor appearance that we would be attracted to him. So he's not on the cover of all the fashion magazines and he's not uh, you know, a featured uh, TV celebrity. But in his second advent, the Hadar is there. Psalm 45. Right on, right on in majesty. So, um... All of that gets recapped in how I worded it in the original point. Beauty turns to splendor when strength becomes gray hair. It is a very splendorous beauty. It's an intense beauty. It's a a mature beauty. It's a developed beauty. It's a different kind of beauty. It is a splendor and majesty when strength becomes gray hair. You know, and it's I don't know. I mean, we have earthly illustrations. We have um, yeah, in, in, in secular life and in normal life. I mean, anybody that, that that you any important person, any a king, a president, somebody in authority, and, and you know that's who they are, and you know that's the position they have, and you know that when you're when you're in their presence, that that um, you know you want to be respectful, and you want to be uh, honoring, and you want to be appropriate, and and uh you certainly don't want to be ugly or threatening because the secret service will uh, deal with you <laughs> okay uh or bodyguards or or whatever uh, when you're in the presence of majesty you, there, you it affects you know your 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 uh, attitude and your and your demeanor and your interactions same thing if you're in the presence of a, of a Extremely beautiful person, and then and then you just you know I, this is for boys at least, uh, you know, you're growing up, and there's a real pretty girl there, and then all of a sudden, man, your tongue just got tied and you, and you can't even speak, you're like Joe Biden in a debate, you're trying to you're muttering and mumbling, and you're not making any sense and uh, I about he did pretty good last night, I was impressed. Um, when you're in the presence of glory or beauty or majesty. It has tangible effects in your attitude, in your demeanor, in your interaction. So much so, and this is just in human terms, multiplied times infinity when you come face to face with the glory and the beauty and the majesty of God, more often than not we see biblical characters just falling over like dead men. Just dropping and and stunning their their human sensibilities in that that exposure. So uh, yeah a splendor a majesty of beauty and attractiveness and that's what gray hair is and so uh i tell you you know i go to pastors conferences and i encounter some of these old timers and i'm just uh, i'm humbled and i'm in awe and i and i i want to pick their brain i want to sit down i want to um i want to learn i want to uh you know while I have those opportunities. I want to drive to Kansas and spend another day with Ralph because doing that last month was just a thrill. And this is, uh, this is what we have. All right, well I guess that's enough there for verse 29. Let's talk about discipline. Stripes that wound, scour away evil, and strokes reach the innermost parts. Now isn't that interesting? How does strokes, how, how, do, how does a, a spanking which you know hits the, the gluteus maximus It it actually hits more than the gluteus maximus. And that's only in earthly terms. It's the physical striking. The spanking to the backside hits the backside. And the the parent is administering love to the child. But what's happening in the spiritual realm? What's happening as you're disciplining a soul as a a, uh, believer is being shaped? And so this is true of children, this is true of adults, this is true of discipline as God administers it. particularly through the Word of God, personal discipline benefits us. It's to our benefit as the corporal discipline has soul benefit. Corporal discipline has soul benefit. Personal discipline benefits us. Scaring away evil? Great. I don't want evil hanging on me. And if that means it's got to be scoured away, well, scour. Whatever does it take. You know, if, if a little bit of rubbing doesn't do it, if, if just a little patty cake doesn't do it, if, uh, you know, if a lighter touch fails to scour away the evil well then the lighter touch is inappropriate. It's not called for. You need something harder than the lighter touch. You might need, uh, you know, the Brillo pad. <laughs> you might need something that, uh, that, that scours, that scrubs, that, that scrapes. Well, that sounds painful. Yeah, yeah, it's painful. Corporal discipline has soul benefit. You know, we talk about the interaction between body and soul, and uh, you can your your soul can make your body sick, and your body can make your soul sick, and they can affect one another. And same thing with the positive benefits that uh, that taking in the word of God and nurturing your soul has uh, positive health benefits, and uh, neglecting the word of God and poisoning your soul has negative health benefits. Personal discipline the same way. Why would, why would it be different? A spanking, a physical pain experience, is designed by God to have a soul benefit. Because uh, temporary pain to the to the hindquarters is, uh, is a whole lot better than than uh, eternal pain to the soul. You know. You know. You want to you want to raise a monster for the next generation. Or do you want to raise a a well-adjusted young person that uh, doesn't have the soul pain because they had sufficient um, uh, you know, tush pain whatever else you want to call it. They had enough of of the corporal discipline to modify their thought processes. And the soul consequences are lifelong. The sting of the spanking goes away. So Uh, This is what we see here. Stripes that wound, scare away evil, strokes reach the innermost part. And this is powerful because remember uh, very little does reach the innermost part. We know that the Word of God reaches the innermost part because of Hebrews 4.12. That the Word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any scalpel or two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and is a critical judge of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So we want our discipline, our child training discipline and our adult discipline We want all modes of discipline to be biblical discipline. That way, as it's being administered, it's the Word of God that's being administered, reaching the innermost parts. All right, so let's look at these. Whoops. There we go. Oh, don't do that. Please cooperate. Why does it do that? Explain that to me. Alright. There's more than one way to skin a dog. There we go. Why does everybody skin cats all the time? I just I like cats. Proverbs thirteen twenty four. He who withholds his rod hates his son. So, tolerant parents, postmodern parents, um, withholding the rod because some child psychology book somewhere said that this is uh, better than spanking. You know, if, if there's a book that differs from the Bible, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't have to tell you guys this, but if there's a book that differs from what the Bible says, get rid of it. The Bible is right, and contrary opinions are unbiblical. If if it's unbiblical, it's unbiblical, by definition. All right. So he who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him scourges him, disciplines him diligently. Shachar Musar. Yeah, Musar, discipline instruction. Disciplines him diligently. He's going to learn from it. If you withhold it, what does he learn? He doesn't learn a thing. Except he learns how to get away with it and he'll do more of it. No, you need to discipline that out of him. Otherwise you you hate him. That's strong language, but that's the way God lays it out there. You know, when I watch the news and I see these thugs roaming the streets, I think, man, these are kids that, that never were loved by their parents. They weren't disciplined by their parents. Proverbs 19, 18. Discipline your son while there is hope. (laughs) You may not think there's hope. Maybe you lost hope, but just keep disciplining. Keep hoping in the Lord. Is he still alive? Because it says, do not desire his death. All right, well, he's not dead yet. I guess there's hope. So I'm going to keep disciplining. And uh, 70 times 7. How many times I got to say, well, I'm going to keep disciplining. Because I haven't stopped loving you yet, I'm going to keep disciplining. And do not desire his death, Down to verse 25 of the same chapter. Strike a scoffer and the naive may become shrewd, but reprove one who has understanding and he will gain knowledge. Isn't this interesting? Is that the corporal discipline, sometimes it it can have a benefit not only to the one receiving it, but to somebody watching it also. They can look at that and say, ooh, I don't want that. And they may learn by somebody else's strokes. So I think my younger siblings, I was the oldest of four, my younger three siblings, they got far fewer spankings than I did because they saw my spankings all the time. And I think they figured out pretty quickly wow, we don't want to do that. So uh, they benefited from from my uh, my pain. So the strike a scoffer and the naive may become shrewd. And of course the baby never gets spanked. That's always the pathetic uh, tragedy of the the baby of the family. I think honestly, that last one comes along, and the the parents are just too tired by then. And they just do whatever you want. So, all right, I'll have to send this MP3 to her and see what she thinks. Proverbs twenty two six. Train up a child in the way he should go. I mean, we all know this verse, don't we? We've been claiming this for ever. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Guess what that training is? It's this. It's discipline. It is instructive discipline. That's the kind of training it is. When he's old, he will not depart from it. Verse 15. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. Because if you don't, that foolishness ends up being bound in the heart of a, a young thug that never grew up. He's still a child emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And, uh, you know, you get a the terrible twos are bad enough when they're two. <laughs> you don't want the terrible twos when they're 18, 19, 20 and they're marching with Antifa and they're doing all this other stuff. Okay? It's bound up in the heart of a child. You've got to remove it. That's part of the the sin in Adam. It's got to be removed. And thankfully God's good at getting it out of there if loving parents are willing to uh, be His instruments in, uh, in that capacity. Proverbs 23, 13 and 14. Do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you strike him with a rod he will not die. You shall strike him with a rod and rescue his soul from Sheol. Corporal discipline is not life-threatening, not when it's administered appropriately. We're not talking about child abuse or, or uh, you know, carnal beatings or, or things that uh, beyond what the Scripture describes. But the uh, the anatomy was designed the way it was and in the wisdom of God's plan. For uh, the, the the prime target to be so effective in uh, in this function. And honestly. If you're an atheist, if you're an evolutionist, what, what, is the, what is the survival of the fittest value to the, <laughs> to the, the rump? You know, I, I, I wonder what the, I have a, my friend will probably tell me, but the, uh, you know, I don't see a survival of the fittest evolutionary value, but I see a design from the intelligent designer who said, that's where you're going to discipline your child. And uh, there you have it. Proverbs 26.3 Did I say we were going to finish early today? I think so. A whip is for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. So there you have it. You know really in the founding of our nation up until modern times we had corporal discipline even for adults in the, in the, in the colonial america there was corporal discipline okay and i'm not talking about slavery i'm talking about citizens that a judge could assign lashes we're talking it was in the military navy lashes army lashes it was in the military it was it was a feature of of discipline up until fairly recent times supposedly we've grown past that we're now modern we're now we're beyond the primitive well that means we're Actually, sadly, we're removing some of the instruments that God designed to keep uh, discipline in in culture. I tell you, the kid that went to Singapore and and uh, spray painted graffiti that uh, back, uh, and I'm forgetting his name now. The American, and he was uh, he he got the lashes. the The Singapore government applied lashes to that kid. I, I'm betting he'll never do it again. Okay. I'm going never go back to Singapore again. Finally, Proverbs 29, 15, and 17. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. How sad is that? Verse 27, correct your son, he will give you comfort. He will also delight your soul. So yeah, you look at verse 15, you look at verse 17 there in, in Proverbs 29, and why uh, why do you need to go to to the bookstore and get something from a, a, a child psychologist, a atheist, human viewpoint perspective? The, the whole aisle is a waste of time. The Book of Proverbs gives it to you right here. This slide gives it to you right here. Okay, and I don't even charge you 19.99 or anything. It's just there it is. All right. Well, that gets us to the end of chapter 20. We'll come back next week, Lord willing, rapture pending. Get political again with the king. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. You say, well, I sure wish our president wasn't so, well, wasn't so what? Did God put him there or not? Is God shaping that that, uh, king's heart? Is it turned whichever way he wishes? You know, if you're designing the channel, if you, if, if you design where the water goes, the water goes where you want it to go. All right, well we'll pick up here again. What, what a fun time of year to be political. So, Thank you Father for this day, thank you for your truth, thank you for your faithfulness in our lives and I do pray as we study to show ourselves approved that we would see every area your word touches on our our politics. It touches on our family life. It touches on our marriages. It's, it touches on our work life. And it, 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 there's no facet of human experience that your word does not address somewhere, and uh, and usually very comprehensively, Father, in, in in every detail. Thank you that that your word sustains us from uh, from beauty to splendor, from uh, from young age to old age, and and uh, every every step of the way. And uh, right up to the day that You take us home, Father, we testify great is Thy faithfulness. So thank You for this time this morning. Thank You for a flock that is that hungers and thirsts for Your Word. And uh, just thank You and praise You, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.